Good morning. It's going to be a great day today. I hope you'll be back for the concert. Like I said, you better get here early or you're going to be standing up. So this is the second Sunday of Advent, and this is Peace Sunday. Uh, we're calling this series of messages uh, this Christmas, Love Came Down. And that, that is the message of Christmas. The idea that God did not choose to remain distant and removed, but that God came down and became a human being. And that Jesus brought the world love and peace and joy and hope. That he got involved in people's lives. He reached out to the lonely cared for the lost, gave sight to the blind, healed the sick. And the amazing thing about the work that Jesus did was that his life and his witness and his power brought all kinds of people together to form a church. And the idea of love came down this morning is this idea that when love came down, love came down to bring people together to do the work of Jesus and to impact the world. Love did not come down to isolate us and to remove us from the world, but came down to bring us together, people from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different ethnicities, to come together to address the problems that destroy harm, and hurt people's lives. Now, let me tell you how I selected the scriptures for this morning. The scriptures this morning, two of them, one we heard earlier from Isaiah, and then the second one I'm about to read from Romans, come from the common lectionary. Now, if you don't know what the lectionary is, it's a set of prescribed readings for the church that Christians will be reading all over the world uh, this Christmas. Can't tell you who put them together, can't tell you how they're arranged. I just know they're always there. And so what I decided to do this Christmas, what this theme was, to just read the four readings every week, pray about them, and just ask the question, God, what is your word for our church today? What do you want to say to us and to your people? So on the one hand, I'm, I'm listening to what's going on in the world. I'm thinking about the world. I'm thinking about the people I meet, the conversations I'm having. And then at the same time, I'm reading the scripture and I'm listening for God's word to us. That's where the idea came from. Both passages today are about what God does for people when they surrender their life and their heart to him. He brings people together to address the real needs and to bring hope, love, peace, and joy to the world. So this is the second passage. And it comes from Romans chapter 15, beginning verse 5. Paul is writing and he says, May God, who gives us patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. And I love this verse. This is a right on your mirror verse. This is a verse to get a tattoo on your arm verse. This is a powerful verse. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, God, the source of hope, God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy. Do people need hope? Yes. Do people need joy? Yes. And do people need peace? Yes. And who gives it to us? It is God that fills us with joy, hope, and peace when we place our trust in God. And then this is, the, this is it. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of the church, to be a people of hope, love, and joy that are overflowing in the world. That God has so filled us full of his presence and his love that we're overflowing with hope. For a world short on hope. For a world short on joy. A world short on peace. So, what does this all mean? So, I talk to people, pastors all over the country. I have friends that serve different churches. And this is what I'm hearing lately from people. This is a really difficult time to be a leader. It's a really difficult time to be a leader in the church. And not only do I hear that uh, from pastors, but I hear that from lots of people. I hear that from people who serve in our government. It's a tough time to be a leader. I hear that from people who serve in law enforcement. Tough time to be a leader. I hear that from principals. Tough time to be a leader. Anywhere... You find a person who's trying to bring people together to tackle and solve common problems in our world that we are facing. It's really difficult to be a leader. And the reason is, lots of different reasons, is that we are so divided right now. People are divided. There's not a lot of peace with us. For one thing, we can't seem to agree on what all the problems are. And then when we do find ourselves agreeing on what the problems are, we can't agree on how to resolve the problems. And then we find ourselves in circumstances and situations where we're trying to resolve the problems and we meet people we disagree with, we disagree with them so violently that we demonize them and we discredit them. The rhetoric and the level of hate and vitriol in our culture right now seems to be very, very high. I can't speak for other ages and other times. It's just a tough time to be a leader. So the problem is that how do we then talk about things that are going on in the world that impact people's lives? You know, I read last week about uh, a place in the world where people are having to make decisions about which child will live and which child will die because they only have enough money for food or for medicine in some parts of our world. How do we talk about these things when people are so divided? I don't know about you, but over the holidays, before the holidays, before Thanksgiving, I read an article, it was about how to have a Thanksgiving meal without having a apocalypse at your dinner table. 
And uh, it said how to, how to have a conversation and to avoid the hot topics that destroy your family. Well, I remember a few years ago during the previous election when Gore was uh, running against Bush and there was an election recount and it was going on during Thanksgiving. And during the Thanksgiving meal, I thought it would be a fun topic for conversation. I was terribly wrong. <laughs> there were a lot of hurt feelings and uh, some ugly things were said. So, it's, so if you're a leader today, how do you talk about hard things going on in the world? Because if you talk about them, then a lot of people disagree with you and your solutions. If you don't talk about them, then people are upset with you. How do you talk about anything? I have to just, let me just submit to you this morning. I am a bit overwhelmed about the world we're living in. A bit overwhelmed. So I've been praying about it. I'm reading the scripture. Thank God, what, what is my role as a leader in the world? How do we bring hope, love, peace, and joy to the world? Those are nice phrases, but how do we make it real and applicable to what's going on in the world? So this is what I came up with. You know what? What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to be the church of Jesus Christ in the world. Because let me tell you, friends, I've got this high ideal about what the church is. I can't speak to any other human organization, but when it comes to the church, there is no other organization like it on the face of the earth that I am aware of. Where so many people come from so many different backgrounds, and there's so much diversity of race, ethnicity, economic status, nationality, all the people who are coming together to address real problems in the world. We look here in this church this morning. I have such high ideas of what we're able to offer the world because I look around and I see that we're a church filled with people who have different ideas and different beliefs, different political orientations, all these different things. But guess what we're doing together? What are we doing together? Well, we're throwing a birthday party at Uspiritus for kids who are in the foster care system. What are we doing together? We put a thousand backpacks in the hands of kids uh, last summer who needed school supplies. What are we doing together? We fed 300 families this Thanksgiving. That's what we're doing together. What are we doing together? Despite our different beliefs and different ways of thinking about the world and how we solve problems, we built a house for a man in our church who had a brain injury. What are we doing together? We're tutoring 40 kids together through the Learning Center. What are we doing together? We're going to provide food and backpacks for families for the 65 hours when they don't have food for an entire school year because we're buying an ornament. What are we doing together? We created a ministry for medically fragile children. What are we doing together? Somehow or another, we're paying off our debt to embrace our city. What are we doing together? We're supporting an orphanage and a hospital down in Honduras, one of the poorest places near. What are we doing together? We're throwing parties at Christmas for the homeless men to the St. John Center. What are we doing together? This Wednesday, you can go down on Wednesday and you can volunteer at the Louisville Rescue Mission. What are we doing together? You know what? I told a story last week about an obnoxious kettlebell ringer down at the Kroger. And you know what happened? One of our church members went over there on behalf of another local organization, put a $1,000 check in her red cattle. She is singing loud today because somebody put a red check in her cattle. That's what we're doing together. You see, we have an opportunity to show the world that we don't have to all agree. We don't all have to look the same. We don't have to think the same. But together around Jesus, we can bring hope, love, and joy to the world. We were never meant to look alike. We were never meant to talk alike. We were never necessarily meant to vote alike. We were meant to serve God together because where is our hope? Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in a president. Our hope is in a king, our king, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. Now, that doesn't mean we don't respect the people that serve us and lead us. We do. 
But look at what's going on in Isaiah. Here's where the word gets powerful, folks. In Isaiah, let me tell you about the world he was living in. Isaiah was written by multiple authors over a long period of time. And it was addressing the fear and the frustration of the people of God. They had a series of poor leaders. Read First and Second Kings. You think we have problems with government? Read First and Second Kings. Let me tell you, one king after another led them down dark paths. They turned away from God. All the Old Testament prophets were writing because they were trying to get them to return to God, trust in God, not believe in false prophets, the false prophets and false idols of greed, materialism, all those kinds of things. And to turn to God and to take care of the poor and the stranger, the foreign, all those kinds of things. But these kings kept letting them down dark paths. So when Isaiah is writing in chapter 11, he says, it's like somebody cut down our tree. I'm looking at our nation and I see our nation. All I see is just a stump and nothing's growing. So Isaiah says, yeah, you feel like the world's a bad thing. But let me tell you, God's not giving up on us. Because God's going to sing us, send us a new king. And this new king's not going to be like any of the other kings. He's going to have the spirit of understanding on him. The spirit of wisdom and counsel and might. He is going to be filled with the spirit and the power of God. He will fear God and he will make things right in the world for people who have no one fighting for them. And when this king comes, he's going to bring people together. Love is going to come down in this king. And God's going to be so powerfully present in him that the world's going to turn to him and the whole Listen, the, the, not just the part of it, not just some of it, but the whole earth is going to be full of the knowledge and the fear of God. Well, as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, you know what we believe? We believe that love did come down. We do believe that out of that stump grew a great king. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We believe he is the king. We believe that when he stood up in the synagogue one day and said the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor that he was talking about himself because he was preaching from Isaiah folks and that he is that king and so what happens is he's calling all different people together to serve him and here's a good thing about that king that king when he looks at the world he sees below the surface He doesn't just look at things and judge people based on the surface level. He looks deep into people's hearts. That's a good thing. So when he looks at you, he sees beyond the labels and the stereotypes and the stuff on the outside. He sees your heart. He sees who you were made in his very image. Every single person on this earth. And that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is able to see what we can't see in people. And what's really powerful about that is that when we accept him, you know what we're doing? We're saying, I'm no longer going to be concerned about my agenda. I'm going to take on a new agenda. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to care about the things that he cares about. When you got baptized in the water, we forget. That's not just so you won't go to hell and go to heaven. It's so you'll serve a new king and you'll live for him in this world and be at work in his redeeming this world. To become a part of this worldwide church that he's building all the world, filling with his spirit of black, white, brown, everybody to do his work in the world. And you're submitting and you're saying, I'm no longer going to be concerned about my own agenda and about the need to be right. And you know what that means? It means when we look at other people, we don't look 
at the exterior, we look deeper. We look deeper to the things that's, that they struggle with, to their story. We want to hear their story. And when we listen to people's story, we're then able to gain wisdom about what's going on in the world. Because we've let go of our need to be right. Because there's something more important than being right. And that's loving people. You can be right or you can be happy. And sometimes it's more important to be kind than it is to be right. So what happens? Love comes down, starts bringing us together. That powerful image of wolf lying down with the lamb, that's what God says happens. God's forming a new humanity, building a church that looks like what he wants it to be. But that's going to require us to change, right? Because in order for that to happen, it means we've got we to reach out and care for all people. This is not just about the people in this room. It's about everybody. So here's the cool thing. That's happened. And it's happening. So Paul is writing this letter. How's this connect? Are you with me? You still with me? You ready for lunch or you want me to finish? Okay, all right. So, so, so here's the cool thing. Paul, Paul. This is, this is so crazy. Who does God pick to build this worldwide church? He picks a pugnacious, punitive, pentulent, I don't know that's a word or not, <laughs> preacher of hate and division to be the one that wants to build a worldwide church. He's talking to Jesus. He says, you know what I want to do? I think that Christianity has to spread beyond the walls of Judaism to embrace every race, all people. It's going to be a worldwide universal church. And I think the one that I'm going to pick to lead that effort is that guy right there. And Jesus goes, that guy? Not that guy. He's the worst of all. And then what happens? Grace reaches down into the life of Paul because God and Jesus could see something in Paul that no one else could see. And Paul is confronted by his sinfulness and his hatefulness and is transformed, the scales fall from his eyes, and he begins to look at every single person on this earth as a child of the living God. And he starts building this church. And so he's writing this letter, letter to the Romans, talking about what God's doing in the world, how, he's bring, how love comes together in Jesus and brings people together. So when he wrote Romans, you know what's going on? The Jews had been expelled from Rome. There was an emperor named Claudius. It was called the Edict of Claudius. They expelled the Jews from Rome. The Jews had started the church in Rome. So when they were expelled from the church, who was left in the church? Gentiles. Gentile people, not Jewish people. So when the Jews were allowed to come back, they came back to a church that didn't look like the church they left. Now imagine if you left this church and you came back 10 years later, it wouldn't look the same. Who are those people running the church? Why are they doing that? They don't do what we used to do. And so there was all this arguing going on because in this church it was unlike any other human organization in the world at that time. It was made of rich people, poor people, slave people, smart people, uneducated people, Jewish people, Gentile, I mean just every race, every nationality. There was no organization on the earth that was like it anywhere in the world. So when Paul's writing to them, he's not just writing in Romans to give them good theology, he's writing them to say, stop worrying about your differences and start focusing on what you have in common. And what we have in common are two things. We're all created in the image of God, and we've all defied the image of God by our sinfulness. 
We all stand in need of grace. We are all sinners. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need his grace. And he begins to preach. And so about chapter 10 on, he's saying, hey, quit worrying about what food you're going to eat. Quit worrying about what day is a holy day or a holy day. Don't focus on the things that are different about you. Focus on what you have in common. And what we have in common is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's called us to do this one primary thing, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to be kind and to serve the poor. That's what he says. And he goes on. He says, you need to know the... I'm going to start preaching now, Noni. He says, you need to know the hour and the time because this world is dark and we're called to be the light. So wake up and be the light. So beginning in chapter 15, you know what he says? He says, the scriptures have been written and given to you to encourage you to know that God is going to keep his promise. And the promise is that he's building a people on the earth that looks like nothing else, made up of all kinds of people who have taken on the agenda of Jesus to do his work in the world. And then here's his prescription for how to bring people together. Listen, I have no, I mean, I'm sure there are other people who can bring people, but if anybody's going to bring anybody together, then what's going to be the church? Because we are the ones who are looking to try to understand below the surface of things. And he says, here's how you do it. Accept one another. Am I talking too fast? Okay. He says, accept one another as Jesus has accepted you. Before you judge another person, before you stereotype another person, before you're so insistent on being right about what you believe and what you think. Remember, Jesus accepted you even though you're unacceptable. And turn around and accept other people that maybe you consider to be unacceptable. And then you know what he says? I can't verify it in the Greek language because I'm ignorant. But I can verify it in the English language because that's what it says in the text. But in the text it says, live in harmony with one another. He's talking to the believers. He didn't say live in unison with one another. What that means is God's not building a solo act that sings one voice with one instrument. He's building a chorus made of different notes and different voices and different tones of different type of people, and that the chorus he's building is a worldwide chorus made up of all kinds of people, and that that chorus is going to sing God's song in the world, his song of hope, his song of joy, his song of peace, his song of love. And people will look at that church and say, look at all those people from all those backgrounds. Look at what God can do. I look in that church, there's a lamb lying down with a wolf. I look in that church, and there's a little boy sitting next to a snake in the pew. And nobody, you see where I'm going with this. I'm not sure, but it's bringing people together. And then he says this. He says that when we begin to trust him, when we trust him, his people, his people, you and me, he fills us with his joy. He fills us with peace, peace, real peace. He fills us with love. And then we overflow with confident hope. And then we're able to throw a birthday party for the homeless at St. John's next week. And then we're able to put aside our differences 
and throw a birthday party for kids that are going to be without their families at Christmas. And then we're able to support an orphanage in one of the poorest, most violent places on the earth. And then we're able to tutor kids that won't have a chance unless we tutor them. And we're able to drive a van back and forth from the senior center so we can minister some of the people in our community, the most forgotten people in our community are, are seniors who live alone. And so we're able to do all these things together because there is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism. Gee, I got a lot out of those two passages, Dolly. That's, that's the good news of Jesus. He is forming a people because love came down to bring us together, to send a message to the world of what God can do. Will you pray with me? The word I didn't mention today is the word repentance. And the word repentance means more than just feeling sorry, sorry for our sins. Feeling sorry for your sins and feeling sorry for your stubbornness doesn't change you, doesn't change anything. What does change you is when you acknowledge your stubbornness and your sinfulness and you tell God, God, I have not walked in your ways. I've not been faithful to you. I've been stubborn and difficult. I've been more concerned about my rights than the rights of someone else. What begins to change for us is we begin to acknowledge, acknowledge our sin and then we tell God we're not going to do that anymore and we're going to go a different direction. And we say, I don't want to live my agenda. I want to live your agenda. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. That's what repentance is. And when we begin to do that and we begin to take positive steps in the direction that God would lead us, that's where change happens. Change happens as we give our hearts to God and then begin to do the things that God has called us to do us in the world under the power of his leading and his spirit. And I think that we all need to repent. We all need to turn to him this morning. We all need to acknowledge that we need him. And we all need to change. And we're all on the same ground. So as we sing this, this last hymn about joy, let's just give our hearts to him today. And say, God, would you lead us? Would you direct us? We turn to you because we want to be filled with your love, your joy, and your peace. God, hear our prayer this morning. Hear our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.